Turn to 1 Kings 7. We've already read our passage, 13 through 51. Now, who was Hiram? Does anybody know who Hiram was? Hiram. Any of you kids know? Yeah, Jubilee. He was the king of Tyre. Well done. It's like a Bible trivia question there, right? Hiram was the king of Tyre, but we also have another Hiram in our text. In our text, verse 13, now King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. And it says not that he was the king of Tyre, but that he was a widow's son from the tribe of Naphtali. So here was someone who had been uh, born a Jew, one of God's people, through a uh, marriage that was from a woman who was a Jew to a man who was from Tyre. And God used that to bring about the birth of this other Hiram. And if you read in Chronicles, you might get confused because there's a spelling difference. And it's not H-I-R-A-M, but H-U-R-A-M, both for the king and for this man, Huram. Hiram, Huram, Wiram, Uram. That's how you're going to remember that, right? In Second Chronicles 2.13, it says, Now I am sending Huram Abi, a skilled man endowed with understanding. And that's Huram or Hiram, the king of Tyre, that says that. So, sometimes it can get confusing. And if you go back and read the older English versions, then who knows what the names are going to be and the spellings are going to be. Elias is an old name for, does anybody know? Elijah. Yeah. So, you've got to pay attention. If you ever see a name that you, that you don't understand that you wonder where it comes from, who it's connected to. Uh, The internet is your friend. The internet is your friend. Somebody will have written on it and you can figure it out. I remember being very confused the first time I saw a commentary talking about Elias. And I was like, they're talking about this person as though I should know who, I've never heard of this person. Well, Hiram is not a nobody. There's two of them, first of all. There's the king, and then there's the man also named Hiram, whom he sent to help Solomon. Now, who prepared Hiram 
this man who was skilled, who was endowed with understanding for the bronze work that he needed to do for the temple of God. Who prepared him for that? What do you think? Tyre was a place that was known for its craft, its art, the beauty of the things that they could make. And so when God was preparing somebody, Hiram, for the work of casting these amazing bronze things that we've read about, all kinds of bronze things, impressive bronze things, things that would be very, very difficult to make. God, in his sovereignty, set it up so that this man would have grown up in Tyre, where he would get the training that he needed. So he got his training in Tyre, a place that was known for its ability to do this kind of thing. But God was the one who prepared him, wasn't he? God is the one who gave Hiram the skill. God is the one who endowed him with understanding. And in our passage in 1 Kings, in verse 14, it says he was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill for doing any work in bronze. Wisdom for bronze work. Now you men who were at our men's group know that we talked early on this semester about wisdom and its meaning and how one of the central meanings of wisdom is expertise, skill, that ability that comes only through long experience in a particular trade or a particular uh, practice. And so we talked about how it makes sense to talk about an expert craftsman in woodworking, for example, as being wise in woodworking. Here we have the example of Hiram being wise in bronze. Now, how many of you know anything about bronze? Any, anything at all? Can you, can, can you tell me anything about bronze? Yeah, what, what can you tell me? It's a type of metal. Okay, that's one thing. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're on our way to expertise already. Yes, what else? It's one of the medals in the Olympics, yeah. Which, which place is bronze? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Third place, that's right. What else can you tell me? If, have you seen the bronze medals? What about the color? What color? Yeah. It looks sort of like gold, yeah. It's, it's a little bit more brown, right? It's just a little bit darker, a little bit browner. Uh, what else can, can you tell me about bronze? Anything? 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's kind of like a cross between copper and, and gold, maybe. Yeah. Can be used for what? For coins. Yeah. Is bronze an element? I have to go to the adults for this. You got a yes, but you're wrong. It's not an element. It's, it's what? It's an alloy made from multiple metals come together. And so, why would you alloy metals together? Alloy is a process of melting them together and, and making one metal out of multiple metals. That's what we mean by alloy. Yeah, why would you do it? To make it stronger. Is that what both of you get to say too? Yeah, you can do it to make it stronger. That's one of the reasons. What other reasons would you alloy metal together? Anybody? Uh, some of you have heard of white gold, right? What is white gold? It's a, it's a gold alloy. Why do you alloy gold? You want it to look different. You might want it to be stronger, but part of the reason that you have white gold, it looks silver, but it's like, it's, it's as precious as gold, but it looks like silver because you want it to look like silver. Okay, so what about bronze? Why did, why did bronze exist? It was to be stronger. Because copper is really soft, and so is gold, and iron's really ugly, right? And so bronze has this nice look compared to most things, and it's stronger than most of those things. It's great metal. And they could work it. And in particular, Hiram could work it. Hiram knew how to make things from bronze. And if he was an expert, I'll bet that means he knew how to make it in the first place. Don't you think? And you know why I think he had to know how to make it? Because you probably mix a little bit different Amounts of the metals, depending on what you want. Maybe you want it a little bit softer for the stuff that you're going to be hammering. Maybe you want it a little bit harder for the pillars and the columns. So an expert is necessary for this kind of work because we're talking about some amazing bronze things being made by Hiram. Some really amazing Bronze work. And God prepared Hiram for this work and gave him the skill, gave him the wisdom, the understanding necessary to do this work. And it was a lot of work. This was a lot of bronze. Do you guys remember what it said about how much there was? How much was there? Anybody remember? Yeah. So much they couldn't weigh it. That's a lot. That's a lot of bronze, isn't it? 
Okay, so let's, let's look at some of this work. The Ten Basins. The Ten Basins. Or you might hear them called other places, lavers, just to help you again with learning some of the, some of the older words that you'll see sometimes. What were these what were these basins on? Does anybody remember? Yeah. They were on stands. Okay, now when you think of a stand, what do you think of? What what pops into your mind when you think of a stand? Yeah. Yeah, a music stand. Okay. And what else? What other kinds of stands can you think of? Oh yeah, speaker stand. There you go. We've got mic stands. We've got music stands. We've got speaker stands. We have a stand for the projector. And we have a stand for the screen. We've got a lot of stands up here. Oh, we've got instrument stands up here too, don't we? So stands are meant to do something, right? What do they do? Yeah? They hold something. And the stands, in this case, hold... Those lavers, those basins, right? And the basins are meant for holding water. Now, most stands that we just talked about are, uh, are pretty small, skinny things, right? But imagine if you wanted to hold a giant bronze basin that curved up as a bowl all the way to where the opening at the top of the bowl was, let's see, this big. The cubit wide opening. You'd need a pretty substantial stand for a bowl that big, wouldn't you? And if it was going to be made of bronze and have water in it, it would be heavy, wouldn't it? And so when we talk about these stands, we probably don't quite have the right picture in our minds immediately. But they were four cubits. So this stand was as wide as this table. This is a six-foot table, okay? And they were square. So the stand was big. You could walk around on this stand. See? All this space. I'm only walking on less than one half of it. Six foot square stand. And it had chariot wheels. So you could move it around. Which would be necessary if you wanted these things to be able to move. And they'd have to be strong wheels, wouldn't they? Because how much do you think a, a stand made of bronze that was six feet square and had a giant bowl made of bronze and also that bowl was full of water, how much do you think that would weigh? 
Well, I wouldn't want it to run over my toe. I'll read you a quote. Some of, the, some of these questions have been asked in the past, you can imagine, and people have sat down and done the math, so I didn't have to. Here you go. The lavers, or the basins, right? The lavers which were born upon them were vessels capable each of holding 300 gallons of water, upwards of a ton weight. That's just the water, not the bronze, you understand. The hole, when full of water, would be no less than two tons. That's a big stand. Isn't it? And there were ten of them. Five on one side of the room and five on the other side of the room. Making one of these things would take a while. Making ten of them, that's some work, isn't it? The sea was even more impressive. Why was it called a sea instead of a basin? Because it was gigantic and full of water. Let me read you from the same guy talking about the sea. The molten sea was an immense semicircular vase measuring 17 and a half feet in diameter. How far is it from the free throw line to the hoop? Anybody know that? What? 15. So wider again than the line to the hoop, which is only 15 feet, 17 feet. So it would be uh, like partway to the three-point line here, right? So that's the diameter. Let me keep reading. And being eight and three-fourths feet in depth. So I could stand up in it in the middle and you wouldn't see my head because I'm not eight feet. This at three and a half inches in thickness, which remember they said it was a hand width thick. That's about three and a half inches. This at three and a half inches in thickness could not weigh less than from 25 to 30 tons in one solid casting. And held from 16,000 to 20,000 gallons of water. The brim was all carved with lily work or flowers and oxen were carved or cut on the outside all round to the number of 300. And it stood on a pedestal of 12 oxen. These oxen must have been of considerable size. Like the Assyrian bulls. So that their corresponding legs would give 
thickness or strength to support so great a weight. For when the vessel was filled with water, the whole weight would be about 100 tons. It takes some serious work to make something that big, doesn't it? It takes some expertise to do it. Now, we've talked about the size, the immensity. But it was beautiful too. You, we, we read about the carvings, the pomegranates, all of these things that were meant to make them look beautiful. And last, I want us to talk about all of these bronze things. And there's more bronze things that we're not going to talk about, but the pillars. The pillars were not to be outshone by these bronze basins, their stands, the sea, the bulls, the decorations on all of that. They decided to have pillars. Now, some of what I read to you just now is basically just rereading the Bible passage, but with our measurements instead of their measurements. Because we don't know what their measurements mean, right? So translating from cubits to feet, translating from baths to gallons, this sort of thing. Now the pillars, again reading from the same guy, the pillars without the capitals. Now any of you kids know what the capitals are? Yeah, the pillar is the part that goes up, and then the capital is the thing at the top that, that branches out, makes the pillar wider at the top. And typically, the, the capitals have decorations, right? Okay, the pillars without the capitals measured 32 and a half feet and 7 feet diameter. And if hollow, the metal would be about three and a half inches thick, so that the whole casting of one pillar must have been from 16 to 20 tons. The height of the capitals was eight and three quarters feet, and at the same thickness of metal would not weigh less than seven or eight tons each. The pillars, when set up, would stand 40 feet in height. It's a big pillar. Two of them. They're big pillars. Forty feet. What do you think? Uh, it's probably higher than the lower part of the roof there. Um, trying to think where where forty feet would be. I don't know. I think it might be about the bottom of those air ducts. That'd be my guess. I could be off a little. Oh wait, they're different heights. I'm talking about this one. 
is higher. I'm wrong. Thank you. The rim is 10 feet. That's a good, that's a good comparison. Just stack, just stack four, four basketball hoops on top of each other on, on, the, uh, on the rims. And that top rim, there's your, there's your 40 feet. So yeah, closer to the peak. Whew. Those are big pillars. And they were named. It's fitting sometimes to name things, isn't it? Now today we name buildings sometimes. Why do we name buildings? Yeah. So you know what they are. So it might be Mars Hill Academy, right? That's the name of the school. It's the name of the building too, sort of, right? Or you might call it the chemistry building at IU, right? But then you, you often give more name to a building. Like you might, you might call it the, uh, what's the chemistry building? Name it, I, you, suddenly. I thought it was named after, uh, well, anyway. Okay, what, what building can you think of that gets named, like, on a campus? We, we, have, we have names for buildings on campuses? Yeah. The dorms, but they don't, they, they, they often are named, yeah. They're often named beyond just being called a dorm, I had a, a dorm at Vanderbilt uh, that was called MIMS. Why was it called MIMS? Some, somebody who gave a lot of money to the school. And so a lot of dorms on campuses have names that are named after people who gave Money. Now, where else do we see names for buildings? Yeah. Okay. There's in in here. There's rooms that are named King Alfred and Saint Andrews. Why were they named that? I don't know. Eh, who knows? Stadiums and courts. Why are state? Give me a stadium name. Great American Ballpark. That one's a tricky one because Great American <clears throat> sounds like, just like, oh yeah, we've got this great American ballpark. But what's it actually named after? Do any of you kids know? Named after Mr. Patrick. <laughs> then why didn't they call it Mr. Patrick Ballpark, that's what I want to know. Great American is the name of a company. So you got, in Indy, you've got Lucas Oil Stadium, company name, right? And why do, why do stadiums get named after companies? Yeah? Because the companies donated a bunch of money. By donated, I think you mean purchased the right to have their name on the building. 
what I want you to see is that names are a little bit different in this case than most of the way that we think of things being named. Okay? Uh, Jacob and Boaz are the names of these two humongous pillars. They weren't named after Boaz and Jacob because Boaz and Jacob gave a bunch of money to building the temple. Naming things in the United States, I don't know about, I don't know whether this is the case in, in most of the West. I think it is. Um, but it's very, it's very different from most other cultures, especially Eastern cultures. Uh, names, naming people, naming things, it's very different. So when you read the names in the Old Testament, you think, oh yeah, Boaz. And then sometimes somebody will ask, like, what does your name mean? Or what does Boaz, you think to ask, what does Boaz mean, right? But it was a word and a name. There's, very, there, there's, there's not very many people who are named uh, after simply a word that has a, an attribute but there's somebody, at least in one in this room, charity. Now imagine if all of our names had meanings. They, well, they do. Most, most all of the names do. But, but imagine if they were words that you already knew. Like, instead of Fiona, which means fair one, we could have named her Fair One. And that's what naming looks like in the Bible. Boaz has a meaning. Jacob has a meaning. When we had a refugee friend from Ethiopia that we had gotten to know and he said that a woman back in the refugee camp claimed he had gotten her pregnant and wanted him to name the child. He named the child, I don't know. And I asked, what did she think of that? And he said, well, she wasn't very happy. Names have meanings, don't they? We don't often think about it that way. Jacob means he will establish. And Boaz, we're not positive about the meaning, but it likely means in him is strength. Now imagine two towers of bronze. Pillars, if you want. I'd say more like towers, given what we've just <laughs> described, right? 
and naming them Jachin and Boaz. He will establish on the one hand, and on the other hand, in him is strength. I want you to think about building something that is that big. Have you ever built a uh, Have you ever built a small tower out of cards, playing cards? Have you ever tried to do that? It's kind of hard, right? Very carefully setting one thing on the other, on the other. And if you spend five minutes on it, and you get three levels high, and then it falls down, ugh. Have you ever built something that took you more than one day to build? Yeah? Have you ever built something that took you seven years to build? You're not even seven. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's a lot of work, isn't it? And, and recognizing these bronze things that we've talked about and how imposing they are, how impressive they are. And I haven't really focused on the beauty just because it's not that beautiful compared to the gold. We've already, we're skipping over the gold stuff, the, gold, the, the entire gold room, right? But these, these things are being built day in, day out, working towards this beautiful building being completed. It'd be very easy to forget, wouldn't it, that God was the one who gave Hiram the wisdom to build these so that they would last. It'd be very easy for Hiram to begin to take the glory for himself, wouldn't it? When he successfully made the first pillar, and they were able to stand it up, and it didn't fall, and it didn't collapse, and it didn't bend, and the decorations didn't fall off and kill three people, That'd be great, wouldn't it? That would, be, that would give you a feeling of satisfaction. Well, Solomon named these two towers, these pillars. Jachin, he will establish in Boaz, in him is strength. You think these pillars are strong? Must have been pretty strong, huh? Must have had a good foundation on this thing. Needed some big stones. Remember that them talking about how big the stones were? That they had to... There's good reason for that now, isn't there? If God is not the one establishing, if God is not the one providing strength, 
Will the pillars stand? In the New Testament, we find that it is in Jesus Christ, it is in the Son, that the universe stays together. The moment that God stops keeping the universe together, it's done. It's only by the strength of his will. He's the one who established it, and he's the one who keeps it up. So it's kind of like your little tower of cards, right? You set it, and you're no good at it, and so you're, you're holding it. Because if you let go, it's going to fall apart. The moment God lets go, no more you, no more me, no more universe. Now why do we, why do we study this? Why do we have this record of the building of the temple? what it looked like, what was in it, all of this bronze. One of the things that we see here is God has to be the one establishing. God has to be the one providing the strength. No matter what good thing we think we are doing, Either the Lord is the one establishing it, or it's not good. Imagine, if you will, David, who wanted to build the temple, and God said no. And David said to himself, Well, I, I think a temple would be good. I'm going to go ahead. Building a temple. Solomon built a temple. It was good, right? If David had built a temple, it would have been bad. Now, that shows us that there are good things that we can do that we should not do because we are not the ones to do them. David had a different job to do. And sometimes we don't like the job that we've been given by God to do. Sometimes we think we've got a better idea of what our job should be and how beautiful our temple will be when we build it. But God is the one who establishes it. God is the one who makes it strong. And if we are building our house without God, we labor in vain. If the Lord is not building the house, he labors in vain who builds it. And no matter how strong 
we think what we're building is. If he's not the one establishing it, it's not strong. No matter what it's made of, no matter how permanent we think it is. Now, sometimes what we're doing when we're building is we're building an organization, right? You can start a club. Start a company. Build a movement, right? And you can put, as they say, succession plans in place, right? But if God says, that's the end, that's the end. Listen to Jeremiah fifty-two seventeen. Now the bronze pillars... which belonged to the house of the Lord, and the stands, and the bronze sea, which were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all their bronze to Babylon. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? The moment that the people of Israel kept the temple, that great and glorious building for the Lord, but stopped serving the Lord, God said, bye-bye temple. The moment we do not rely on him, it's done. So the question for you is, what are you building? And not just, is what you're building good? Not just, is what you're doing a good thing? Not just, what you're prioritizing, can it be described as good? But is it what God has called you to? Is he establishing it? Or is it something that you are determined in your own strength you will establish? You will do. Because you feel so strongly the necessity of having a temple. Like David. Be like David. And don't build when you're not supposed to build. And be like Solomon. Build when you're supposed to build. And trust God.